Welcome to On the Edge with Liza Pullman. On the Edge explores the frontier of human potential. What really is possible? Experts in medicine, business, science, and belief systems divulge methods and pathways to productivity, profitability, well-being, freedom, and happiness. Now, here's your host, Liza Pullman. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today, on the edge, I'm grateful to have David Levine, founder of the Teaching Empathy Institute. David is an educator, writer, musician, and a nonprofit leader with more than 30 years of experience. Today, he focuses on creating caring and compassionate school cultures where social and emotional learning and emotional intelligence are foundational practices. Music and song are his core tools. He has produced a Parents' Choice Gold Award-winning recording of children's music and an award-winning music video documentary focusing on empathy and social decision-making. David inspires both children and adults to look within to make a difference without. David has developed tools to help young people and adults thrive. How does he do this? Participants in his programs develop the capacity to believe in themselves, to have a sense of purpose, and to embrace their equal standing in their social groups and communities. He is committed to the self-discovery and personal transformation of kids and adults towards universal belonging. And he believes it's easy. How easy is it, David? <laughs> well, good morning, Liza, first of all. Um, <laughs> I, it's not so much easy as it is simple. You know, and simple doesn't mean trivial, but it means very focused. And so it really starts within. Uh, this idea of belonging and empathy, so often we think of bringing people into the circle, uh, having empathy and compassion for others, but it really starts with yourself, you know, belonging to who you are, uh, getting in touch with why we're here on this earth, and having empathy and honor for who we are as a first step toward creating that dynamic for others who we work with and, and live with every day. That is so beautifully stated. Thank you. I think our listeners would really benefit from hearing about your journey of self-discovery and personal transformation before we get in deep on what you do with others. And this journey to the Teaching Empathy Institute has taken you from the four corners to Omega Institute. Will you tell us something about the journey? Sure. Well, uh, I mean... <laughs> The journey began with the day I was born, and I don't mean that as a joke. But what I mean is when I came into this earth, I was uh, really gifted with being in a family where music uh, was, a, was a primary focus, not just playing, but sharing and being a part with others, being accepted and honored and invited. And what I learned through the years was that as I look back on my childhood, that the music was really about being a part of a community. And so I followed this path as a musician toward becoming a teacher. And I used music in my work. And I found that, uh, first of all, the use of music, it opens up the imagination of the child. It's an auditory experience. And, and Liza, as you shared with me, when you're in your imaginative self, you now are, have a portal into the unconscious which is where our true life purpose resides. It's a mystery to us. It's a secret. And our challenge is to find what that is, to unearth it, right? So that's the journey that I was on. Music was sort of lining the path, but I was traveling along, being a part of a community, going into teaching and education, and eventually found myself working with groups of people as a facilitator and a trainer, 
creating uh, support systems for one another, specifically those who work with children, and to create support systems for the children in our schools and communities. And at one point, I was sort of wondering, am I on the right path? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And I was put that question out to the universe. I was amusing on this. And one early, early morning, I was taking a walk. And I had this voice come into me and said, you should, you should contact this group called the Animus Valley Institute. And I knew about them because I cut the sheet of paper out from the Omega catalog, Quest for a Vision in the Canyons of Utah. And I thought, that sounds cool. But I cut it out. I didn't know why or that I was ever going to go out there because I live in New York. But it was on my fridge, you know, in one morning, that early morning, you better call those people. And I went right back. And they were in Colorado. I had to wait three hours. And I called. And the next thing I knew, three months later, after some preparation, there I was in the Four Corners in the canyon country in Utah. And I really wasn't even quite sure what I was getting myself into. I thought it was going to be this cool experience, but rather it was a real hard experience because it was uh, a soul journey, a soul quest, a quest to go into the darkness, go into the underworld of who we are. Uh, you know, David White, the poet, talks about we all have this corner of creation that we stand on. And I was trying to find that location. It's a mystery. And then in that experience, I called for a vision. It was a vision quest. And I called for the vision of why am I here? And I got an answer. And that answer pretty much validated what I, the path I was already on, that I was here on this earth to help create experiences for adults and children where they could find the light when their soul was dragging them down. You know, it's so interesting that you can put that question out there. You can put the question out there, what is my purpose? What is my soul quest? And you have to be open to hearing an answer. And I think it helps to be in places like four corners and it's so it's amazing that you actually love david white's poem about the corner of creation and then manifest actually being in the four corners <laughs> yes well uh his work spoke to me and still speaks to me because it's a challenge to have what he calls the courageous conversation, courage, cuer, corazón, the heartfelt dialogue with who we are. And when you're, you know, it, it seems like, a, again, simple doesn't mean trivial. It, it's a simple task or challenge to have this interaction with our soul. But it's not easy because it's painful, because it's a mystery. And, you know, the brighter the light, the darker the shadow. And this is shadow work. And for myself, I knew when I was in that experience, and that was an 11-day experience, we spent four days preparing for it. We spent four days doing dream work, doing drumming, trance drumming work. You know, we were sitting in these ancient kivas and talking about, it was transpersonal, uh, process, a transpersonal process. And from the very beginning, everything we did, every exercise we had, including writing a letter to your soul, I was crying. These tears were showing up. And I later came to understand that they were showing up. I was crying because my soul was being touched. Mm. You know, and, and one of the things that I, I shared with the group at one point, because we would sit in council and we would talk about where we were, what our experience was at that moment. And I said, wait, you keep talking about soul. You keep talking about soul. What about spirit? I've been doing all this spirit work, you know, all this prayer to the sun, to the light, you know, God is light, you know, may the light of God flow through me. That was like my prayer. And Bill Plotkin, who is the uh, creator of Animus Valley and is an ecotherapist and a vision quest guide, he said, spirit is the agent of soul. He said, you know, your soul is your life purpose, which is the great mystery. As I said, we, we are here to unearth and discover spirit is the expression of that life purpose. Right. And that made that made so much sense to me. If you're only doing spirit work, it might feel good, 
but it not, might not be the true meaning of who you are and why you're here. You know, it, people struggle to make sense of all the terminology out there because there's an awful lot of terminology out there. And, you know, it gets muddled with religious terminology and terminology of specific modalities. And I'm not a huge fan of language in this context for that reason, because I feel that language gets in the way of us understanding what's really happening inside of us. But the way you describe the soul and the spirit is quite beautiful. Thank you. Uh, and, and, you know, that's one of my uh, tasks, I guess, in this lifetime is to make these ancient sacred guiding principles accessible to children. Because certainly, you know, this kind of terminology, it's very abstract for them. But by creating the conditions in schools and in classrooms which celebrate the child, which provide safety for them to express who they truly are so they don't have to fit into the standard of what some you know, educator at a university says they all need to be able to do, but rather the standard is the uniqueness within each child. And, and there are some kids who they don't have the way, the, the uh, skills to express what they feel, what they need, but they're, they're, they're pushed down. They're, they're, they're held back. They're, they're compartmentalized. They're even labeled. And those children's beha- their behavior is their form of communication. And what they're communicating is, please give me an alternative mode of expression of who I am. And, you know, I mean, you, you read this all the time. Many very successful adults who are writers or artists or musicians, uh, they say, oh, my gosh, I struggled in school. I failed school. I dropped out of high school. Well, there's a reason for that, because the the culture uh, the, the, this this archaic culture of the factory model did not open up the opportunity to be who they are and express who they are and celebrate that. And so this soul work is really I'm, I've been trying to translate it into schools for children to find their soul path. Well, and I, you know, when you talk about the struggles that children have, I think adults actually have those same struggles. Um, which is why, you know, as we get into the program further, people will see adults who are listening to this, that these, this work that you do resonates with adults as well for the same reason. People need a way to step out of the factory model and they need a way to step into their souls. Uh, I want to go back to speaking of alternative mode of expressions. You're one of your favorite uh, poets and poetry obviously is an alternative mode of expression. David White with whom you feel deeply connected, his poem, The House of Belonging, resonates with you. Absolutely. And since it's so fundamental to the work that you are doing now, I would like you or I can share the last three stanzas of that. Do you know it by heart or would you? I I, I don't know it by heart. I, I sort of just internalized the process of what he was trying to express. So if you have it in front of you, for sure. I do. Uh, let me give it a read because I think it's so beautiful. And I hadn't read this before you mentioned it to me. So I'm going to read the last three stanzas. This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all the things it has taken me so long to learn to love. This is the temple of my adult aloneness, and I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house like the house of belonging. What spoke to you about that? Well, you know, the first time I actually heard that poem, I heard David read it himself at a weekend experience at this monastery here in the Hudson Valley. And he talked about a home that I think he probably still lives in, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, where it was this big old post and beam house. And over time, 
he was as he was reconstructing his life, which had shifted a little bit, he was reconstructing this home. And with every act, you know, with every nail that he hit in and every piece of wood that he sanded and planed out and smoothed over, he was realizing that he was creating a connection to his inner world, to his temple. And he suddenly was in a place, his house, but himself, where he was at home, where he didn't have to worry what others were going to think about him. He didn't have to worry that he was saying the right thing or doing the thing that was cool, you know, this all these external sorts of influences. But he was suddenly in connection with his true inner self. And so that spoke to me, one, because that soul, that's when you're in touch with your soul expression. You know, it's not your job. You know, you said before people sort of lose lose their way a little bit. At some point, they're like, wait, what am I doing with my life? I thought this job was the path. It's not your job. That's the agent, right? It doesn't even matter what the job is. What matters is, you know, being in touch with why you're here. And even if it's, you know, seeing someone in a store and, you know, buying a cup of coffee, the interaction could be part of your soul expression. You know, I remember um, I had some friends that were going to travel across country. This is a long time ago, and they bought this book. I don't even know who's the author, but it's sacred spots around the United States. You know, I'm sure the Four Corners is in there. And they were so excited. They had mapped out all these. They're going to go here and then we're going to go here and then we're going to go here. And this person I was with, we were talking with. He was also in the conversation. He said, you know, you don't have to travel the country to seek out sacred places right here, right now in this moment. This is a sacred space. This is the sacred place, right? So it's all within. So I heard that poem. I looked within, and then I looked without, and I looked at schools. And I thought, and at the time, I was writing a book about building community in school, and the editor said, you've got to define it more clearly. You know it so well, but we want the teachers who will be reading this book to be really focused on what you're intending to do. I thought I read, heard that poem and then I read it. I got his book, The House of Belonging, which is one of his poetry books. And I thought I want a school to be a school of belonging, a place where all those dynamics of inner dialogue conditions can be created for that. And you can be listened to. And when when you when you speak your voice, when you tell your story and people honor you, that's a sacred space. And that is a schoolhouse of belonging. If we can create those environments, our world would be a very different place. And we need to take a short break. I've been speaking with Teaching Empathy Institute founder and author David Levine about the ease of finding your true purpose and of belonging. We will be back in a few minutes with more. Welcome back to On the Edge. Here's Liza Pullman. In this hour, author and Teaching Empathy Institute founder David Levine is with us. Let's learn more about David and the work of Teaching Empathy Institute. David, we ended the last segment on the school of belonging, this vision you have for creating schools that are sacred spaces for you know, all of us, all of the children, really, but I, I see it as much bigger than that. And at the core of that is empathy. And as much talk of empathy as there is, people often confuse empathy and compassion. My understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that compassion is sympathy for the misfortunes of another, while empathy is being responsive to identifying with and understanding the emotions or feelings of another, which requires something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Well, let me start. Empathy and sympathy, often people uh, will say they're the same thing. And as you've just said, Liza, they are not, you know, uh, simply put sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. And certainly there's a place for that. Empathy is more of an active interactive dynamic where you're seeing, you're able to, it starts with the intention. You know, actually I think 
Compassion is the intention that guides a person to be empathic. Mm. Where, okay, so I have this intention that I hold, which is that all people, you know, one, one way of looking at it, all people were babies at one point, right? So if that's your intention, if you think about someone's response to a natural response to a baby, that, oh, that, that's empathy. It's like, oh, like your, your, your heart is deeply touched and your heart is so open. And empathy is a heart skill. And I see it as a skill. Empathy is not feeling sorry for, it's feeling with. But in my work, and I've sort of been guided by many children through the years I've worked with, it goes beyond or it extends beyond feeling what someone else is feeling. Well, that's the classic definition of empathy, walking a mile in someone else's shoes. It's great. It's awesome. But I like to then say, okay, so what do we do with what we discover there when we're in that place? What do we do when we go visit their house for a little bit, their house of belonging? And that's where we get into what I call pro-social skills, skills, competencies that you can learn. You can translate this heartfelt vibration of connection that empathy you know, facilitates, but translate it into action in the form of support, in the form of listening, in the form of being non-judgmental and honoring that space and that place where that person is. That to me is empathy and that takes place within the house of belonging or the school of belonging. And why is it so critical to who we are, to our emotional well-being, to our purpose? I think it's it's a natural inclination that we're all born into this world with. We are human beings. We come from this this non-physical, the universe, you know, and we're there, there's like this grand scheme of love, right? And we enter into this incarnation for the purpose of learning, for the purpose of, of strengthening our, our soul. And, our, and that's why we have a soul purpose. So here we are. We enter into this world. I remember when my oldest child, who's 16 now, my first child, I remember when he was an infant. And uh, at night I'd hold him. And I used to jokingly call him LT, little teacher. But as I realized, it wasn't a joke. He was so close to the other side of existence. He was so close to that non-physical. And what he held, what I held as he was holding this within him, was this pure sense of love. And that's what empathy is. It is a hard skill, like I said. So children have this. And you see it as they grow into toddlerhood and they're having a play date and one of their their friends falls down and cries. The child's natural inclination is to go grab the adult, whether it's their father or their mother, and bring that person to that child because that's their system of the world. Like when I cry, mommy, daddy, they comfort me. My friend is crying. I'll do for that person what I would want done for me. And that's a natural empathic process or urging. It's that heartfelt, that corazón that guides us. That's our compass. But as they grow into out of a toddlership and now they're in school and now there's there's comparisons, you know, who's got a better grade, who's got more friends, who's doing the cooler thing. What does society say boys should do? What does society say girls should do? And all of a sudden they start questioning who they are. And their life purpose that was so close to the surface because they knew it. We all know it just before we incarnate. And as soon as we're born, we forget it. We're so close to it like LT was. Right. And all of a sudden it's 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 a blind spot. It's invisible to us. And the external demands of acceptance, the need for belonging will drive us further away from our sole purpose. It's so true. So much of the work that you and I do independently is about people recognizing what got in the way, what beliefs that were imprinted on them through their families or their schools got in the way of them seeing who they really are and that they they are such amazing teachers young people even even high school students who already have had so much happen to them that blocks who they are they're still close enough that they are profound teachers for adults and it's it's the opposite of what most people say you know like oh i'm the one who's lived whatever 30 40 50 years i'm the one who really knows what what life's about and it's not actually true 
I find that when I work with, and I work with all ages, I work with the three-year-olds up to seniors in high school and adults as well. And uh, the older the person is, the deeper you have to mine to pull their true essence out of them. Mm. And adult adults, they get like really stuck because they learn these survival strategies from childhood that just become calcified. And it closes their heart and closes them for opportunities for enlightenment, for growth, for opening up to differences. If it's different, it's not what I've known. It's not what I've been taught is the way it has to be. It's really hard. You can do it, and there are certain mechanisms to do so, but it's greater challenge than it is even for, for a high school student. So I want your our listeners to really experience a way that you do this and you use songs as a tool and music to connect people of all ages and including adults at Omega with their core emotional needs. And one of your most powerful songs is the story of Howard Gray originally written in song by Lee Doman. Is that how you pronounce it? Doman? That's correct. Lee Doman. Yes. And to give people an idea of how you use this song, would you sing the story for us? I will, I will, and I'll, I'll say very little about it until after I finish. But I will say it's a true story. And, mm-hmm. and I do use this song, you know, just to say about, you know, where people are growing up, um, emotion, empathy. Uh, these are energetics. Energy is emotion. And we have these energetic experiences. And sometimes they drive us later on in life. We, we have these experiences and our emotions seek to protect us from further pain. And as we get older, we don't remember what those experiences were. And it takes certain mechanisms, certain alternative ways of communication to trigger that emotional memory And when that happens, now there's an opening for authentic, courageous dialogue that can help alter a person's self-perception and perception of their place in the world. So this song does that. It's called Howard Gray. Most everyone I knew put the whole Gray family down. They were the poorest family in that little country town. Howard always looked too big for his funny, ragged clothes. The kids all laughed at him. Jimmy Jones thumbed his nose. Howard sat across from me in seventh grade at school. Didn't like it much, but Mama taught the golden rule. So when the spitballs flew at him, never would join in. I guess that was the reason Howard thought I was his friend. And after things were quiet down, sometimes I'd turn and see the grateful eyes of Howard Gray looking back at me. Howard Gray, oh, Howard Gray, somehow they got their kids. Out of treating you that way Deep down, I kind of liked you But I was too afraid To be a friend to you, Howard Gray One day after lunch I went to comb my hair and saw They had Howard pinned against Locker in the hall They were poking fun About the big hole in his shirt He had his left arm twisted back Behind him till it hurt To this day I can't explain and I won't try to guess Just how it was I wound up Laughing harder than the rest I laughed until I cried but through my tears, I still could see the tear-stained eyes of Howard Gray looking back at me. Howard Gray, oh, Howard Gray. Well, I can't believe I joined them all. 
treating you that way. Well, I wanted to apologize, but I was too afraid of what they think about me. How regret. From that moment on, after I made fun of him. He never looked my way. He never smiled at me again. Not much longer after that, his family moved away. That's the last I ever saw. Heard of Howard Gray. That was 20 years ago. I still haven't found just why we'll kick a brother. Or a sister when they're dead. I know it may sound crazy, but now and then I dream about the eyes of Howard Gray looking back at me. Howard Gray, oh Howard Gray, well I've never quite forgiven us treating you that way. I only hope that somehow you can hear this song someday, and you'll know that I am sorry, Howard Gray. We'll probably never meet again. All I can do is pray. May you and God forgive us, Howard Gray. Thank you. Welcome. You know, as you said before I sang it, that song was written by Lee Doman. And the first time I heard it, which was 30 years ago, I was teaching sixth grade at the time. And I was driving down the road. Someone gave me a copy of that song. And I, as I was coming on, those emotional memories flowed into me. And I pulled the car over. So I couldn't focus on driving. And I sat there, side of the road, and after, and my, my soul was touched, you know, I was crying. And, um, I realized I have to, I have to learn that song. I want to sing it for my students. A couple weeks later, after I'd learned it, I went in one day, I put them in a circle. I said, I'm going to sing this song. It's a true story. It's not written to teach a lesson. It's written to tell a story. You know, and I, I was a believer that, you know, still the most effective way to teach children is the oral tradition. You know, the, the, uh, we're, we're the, we're the, uh, elders. Elders are younger these days. They used to be, and the children are the initiates. And so we were in that modality and I sang the song and after I finished, someone raised their hand and they said, is that really true? I said, yes, it is true. And they rolled up their sleeves and they wanted to talk about this universal reality that they all face, this need for belonging, this need for acceptance and affiliation. Well, and it's haunting. It's, it's like the original experience that Lee went through and then was himself haunted by for 20 some years comes through when you when you sing that and it, it's, you know, it breaks my heart open and then it, it sends me through, you know, my memory to review moments in my life where either I had felt like Howard or I had felt like Lee, you know, Absolutely. Not, and, and that's so powerful. It's so powerful and stories, you know, I don't know a person that doesn't love a story regardless of their age. Yes. Yes. And a story that's true, a person's story, we're all connected. So we've all been through it. You know, one of the things about empathy is that you can have empathy for someone without having been through the same experience, but you've all had the same feelings. We've all had that feeling of being rejected. We've all had that feeling of, uncertainty in that moment of choice, a social choice, the moral dilemma, 
We've all had that. We've all taken the path of disconnecting for social acceptance. We've all taken the path of connecting and risking our social standing because we felt it was the right thing to do. This is the universality of it all. And, you know, you mentioned I review my, my life, my own life story. I thought, you know, I get, I think that's the purpose here is that why wait until we, we cross back over to have a life review? Why not have a life review now and say, okay, so what are the lessons I've learned? And that could inform us as we move ahead in this world. Right. And letting, you know, it's so interesting. You open up, you know, you open up all of us with that song and then you know, it's, it is that space to let go of, or even to have a moment of forgiveness for those events in our life where we have not been proud of who we were, or we wished we had done something else. And to really have a conversation about that and then to see with others that they also are having that same experience. As you said, the universality. It's very, very powerful. You know, when I sang that song at Omega this summer at the Mindfulness in, for Educators conference, I had people turn and group work in groups of four and just talk about what memories came up for them as they listened. And then I had people share. It was like over 200 people and people were speaking in front of this large group. And someone said, I have memories of things I went through when I didn't speak out for someone and I feel regret. And I said, I hear that whenever I hear that. I always say to people, we do the best we can each day with what we know. And every day is an opportunity as we're on that page of our life to write new chapters as we move ahead. Right. So that came up. And then someone in the back said, I feel a lot of shame right now. That's a very powerful word, you know, and feeling. And I said, well, you know, Brene Brown, if you're familiar with her, a lot of folks were did the research, her research on shame and her research led her to this very empowering teaching, book and teaching about courage. Corazón, courage. Courage is not bravery. Courage is speaking, working, deciding from your heart, felt mm. passion. And sometimes it is a courageous act because it's going against the flow. It's risking alienation. But in fact, it's a sign of strength and fortitude and integrity. And so all I invited this one person at Omega to do was to reframe her shame into the courage to speak her words in front of this large group and move ahead toward a place of courage, toward a place of a heartfelt existence. And all that comes about from that four minute and 20 second song, which is a life story, a life memory. And that's what I mean. It opens up our emotions and emotion is energy and energy is what moves us. And the testament to the power of sound to move people. And we need to take a short break. I've been speaking with Teaching Empathy Institute founder and author David Levine about empathy and music and storytelling as an entry point to our soul. We'll be back in a few minutes to learn how honing our listening skills is key to transformation. You're listening to On the Edge with Liza Pullman on TalkZone.com. Now, back to the program. In this hour, author and teaching Empathy Institute founder David Levine is with us. Let's learn more about David's work at the Teaching Empathy Institute. Welcome back, David. Thank you. Thanks. We, yeah, we ended with that incredibly powerful song and talking about the impact of that song on not only children, but adults. Yes, and you know... Uh, I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, I mentioned earlier that while writing my first book, Building Classroom Communities, I, I decided to integrate the work of David White into this idea of a school of belonging. So I started to do school of belonging training sessions for school and school districts around the country, which really focused on creating the conditions in schools where children felt emotionally safe, where they 
left each day with emotional well-being. They went home with smiles on their faces and they love school and their teachers like them and they have lots of friends and they love learning. That's what you will see in a school of belonging. And part of the process was to sing that song, Howard Gray. And one day, and I, and I used to sing it, I'd sing the song and then I would brainstorm with the children, you know, why are people treated this way? And one of the first three answers always would be different. Anyone who's different will be made fun of, will be rejected, will be laughed at. And then that opened up the conversation as to why that was. And it was about fear, which I think is extremely relevant in our country today, that conversation. <clears throat> so I was surfacing that and people were making connections, but I was also seeking a way to translate that concern into an action. Okay, so what do we do with this information? You know, it's good to know about it, but where do we go from here? And one day I was singing the song to a group of eighth grade students and I had a sheet of chart paper behind me. I was holding a marker and I turned around and I was about to write, why are people treated this way? And I literally had a vision. The vision was this word empathy. Now, this was in 1998. So this was way before empathy was one of these words that people spoke about. You know, thank, thankfully, uh, President Obama brought empathy into people's consciousness when he spoke about Supreme Court justice choices, having a sense of empathy. And suddenly brought it into the national conversation. This was before that. I wasn't thinking of this word. It truly came to me from the universe in that moment through the top of me, down my body, through my heart, out my arm, to my fingers where I was holding a marker, and I wrote the word empathy. And I drew a little box around it with a little nail in the wall and a wire, and I turned and I said, you see that word? What's that word mean? And, of course, there was somebody who looked it up in the dictionary. You know, feeling what someone else is feeling was her definition. I said, you know, also, think of this as a picture on the wall, a piece of artwork that we're absorbed into. And empathy is looking at someone else's picture of the world and making it our own, absorbing it, going into their world and being present with who they are, being present with what they experience. And that was the beginning of empathy, as I see it, as a pro-social skill, the ultimate pro-social skill. It, you know, just from what we've done today, and seeing how it opens up, how I'm opened up, and knowing how it opened up other people that you have worked with, whether they were adults or children, it's undeniable the power of empathy. And empathy also involves being very present to the other person, which requires a, a level of listening. Listening is something that, People are not that skilled at in our culture. People tend to talk much more than they listen. And it's difficult to have empathy when you're not listening. Well, I think empathy really is high level listening. Mm -hmm. Remember, the intention of compassion leads to the skill of listening. And if you were to break it down, there are three high levels of listening that we can learn. And it's not taught in this culture. We're often told to be a listener. Listen up. You're not listening. You never listen to me. But we also know, and I include the we because I think it's true for all, when someone really listens to you, you like that person. Well, you feel seen. Yeah, they honor who you are. They're present with you, but they're not giving advice. And they're not, because a lot of people, they have the intention of connecting, but they think that listening is, you tell me your story about how, you know, my basement flooded this weekend. And they go, oh my gosh, when I was seven years old, our basement flooded. And I, yeah, but that happened 35 years ago. I'm talking about right now. I'm experiencing it now. So the intention is good, but the skill isn't there, right? So whether it's with children or adults, there are, I'll do very quickly, this is a very practical little piece right here. There are three things we can do when we want to be in that place of empathy with another. The first is as they're telling their story, we are asking them questions to learn more. And these are called open-ended questions because they open you up to telling more. A closed question you can answer with a yes or a no. You know, did you have fun there? No. And that, they answered your question. But well, what open is what? What happened? Who was there? 
How are you feeling? And the one question to be very conscious of, to be away, stay away from, is why. Mm-hmm. Because when you say, well, why did you do that? Defensiveness, shutdown. That might not be your intention. But, you know, the old adage, it's true. You know, it's not what's delivered, it's what's received. So be highly conscious that people who are needing an empathic listener, they need to have someone who's going to create safety. And that doesn't come from the word why. So you ask those questions. And then you clarify back. Let me make sure I understood. This is a summary, not an audio replay of what they said. It's not playing the tape back of this interview. But it's like, oh, so let me make sure I have this straight. So when you went out to the four corners, that was a life-changing event for you. Now, I might not have said it in those words, but if you took it in, you're going to say it back to me, and I'm going to say yes. Or if you're not correct, I'll say, well, no, actually it was, and suddenly you're getting more information. But the highest level response of empathy and of listening is to reflect feelings back of the person. Wow, that must have been so amazing for you must have felt so ecstatic about that experience or the other side, that must have been so hard for you, must have been so disappointing when she didn't call you back. Wow, so what did you do next? And now you're in it with them. You're in that container. You're in that space. It's their space. You're not interpreting you're simply reflecting back. And for children especially, and I have two teenagers, they're always saying, Dad, you just don't understand me. Kids, ought, they believe that. But when an adult, and who's not a parent often, but when an adult, whether it's a teacher or a coach or a mentor in some way, is able to accurately reflect the feelings, the message to the young person is, this person gets me. This person understands me. And the other piece lies that by acting and behaving this way with children, we're teaching them how to be this for themselves, but also how to be this way with others. That's empathy in instructional practice. If everyone had those skills, adults and children combined, again, the world would be a very different place. It would feel really, really good to be heard. It does feel good to be heard. Yeah, and I heard someone, uh, well, someone I was in conversation with, I loved the way she described how she sees empathy. She said, we've got, this was before the election, but it was during the campaign of, you know, the, our last presidential election. She said, there's people on this side and people on this side. And we need to come together in the middle and have authentic, heartfelt, honorable conversation where listening is paramount. So it's not coming together to agree but it's coming together to understand. And that's where that's when we can move forward. To listen. To, listen. to really to listen, listen and, and to make, make all, all these people, people especially, especially in this day and age where things seem so black and white, for people to listen to each other's perspectives and really see where they're coming from. So I want to you have something very important to share with our listeners. And I want to get to that. And I know you need to do a little bit of an introduction to that. So I want to carve out enough time for the introduction and that. And it's called Your Calling Song. And I want people to know that if they want any information on you and the work you're doing, to have you in their school, to have you in their organization, that they can go to teachingempathyinstitute.org or they can find you on my webpage on TalkZone, or they can find you on my um, personal webpage, which is www.imaginaconsulting.com. But I want to thank you so much for being here today because your work is so critical in our world and so I can't think of an, an organization or school that wouldn't benefit from you working with them. So I'm going to let you now uh, transition into your calling song. Okay. Thank you, Liza. Thank you so much. And thanks to all your listeners for still being with us here. Uh, So when I was out on my vision quest and I said that we did some preparatory work, a lot of that was dream work. And every morning we would come together, we'd go into the kiva, we would drum, and then we would share about what dreams we had. One night I dreamt a song. And I sang the song as part of our sharing. And Bill Plotkin said, that's a calling song. And he explained that a calling song is when you're singing to the beloved of your soul. And you're calling 
for a response. It's really asking to be listened to, but you're asking to be listened to from within. And he said, what's really cool about your song, David, is that you got an answer. So this is my calling song, and it's called Can You Hear Me? And I'm actually shifting the lyrics a little bit right now for a curriculum we're creating for School of Belonging where we're teaching listening to third graders, and I'm changing it a little bit. But this is the, this is the pure song of my calling song, Can You Hear Me? Can you hear me? I'm calling softly. I'm listening for sound or sign. I'm the deep blue sky. I'm the endless sea. And I'm the light that's shining. From your eyes, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Well, I can hear you, cause I'm the sky so blue. Listen as my song is sweetly sung. If you believe in the rhythm of an old friend, and the rhythm of these times, gently sing along. Cause I can hear you. I can hear you. Can you free me from the fears of life? Take me back to the life of my home Cause I can feel you Your arms are wrapped around me And I feel morning whisper in my heart And I'm not alone Cause I can hear you Cause I can feel you you've been listening to on the edge with liza pullman for more information about liza and to find out about upcoming programs visit imaginaconsulting.com that's i-m-a-g-i-n-a consulting.com thanks for listening